Welcome, everybody. My name is Ken Seaton, co-founder of Athletes Touch with Justin Blaine. Welcome to the Tower of Power podcast that we've got coming at you right now. We're an exclusive community helping former pro and college athletes in the business world get ready to rocket fuel your ship, professionally speaking. I'm here. Justin, go ahead and take it away. If you like great stories, sports, and success, you're in the right place. Buckle up and join us for a great ride. Overcoming obstacles to excellence. What keeps people from reaching their peaks? Tonight, we asked Dr. Eddie O'Connor, famed sports psychologist, to share those answers and more with our Athletes Touch community. Listen in. So thank you, Aaron. Dr. Eddie, CJ is going to play a short clip, which will uh, kind of usher in you and, and your background, and then we'll get into some Q&A. So CJ, can you put that up? But that doesn't mean being our best. It doesn't mean our peak performances. It just, for many of us, much of the time, it might be impossible to be at our peak, but that doesn't mean that we can't be at our best. See, if you define your best as giving 100% of what you have, well, on some days, maybe 50% is your best. If you are lost your job, if you've experienced losses, maybe 10, 20% is your best. If you're sick, go, getting up and making a cup of soup and spend, spending the day in bed might be your best that day. And you need to be content with that. Please be content with that. Knowing that if you gave your full effort and you gave everything that you had, even if it's far from your best, it is still your best. So again, maybe 50% is 100% or I'd like to leave you with this one. Run as fast as you can, not as fast as you can't. Take us into <laughs> the start, the background, how you got into what you're doing and bring us up to speed and then we'll start with some kind of the real deep probing questions. Yeah, well, well again, thanks very much for having me in. I guess my real quick history of the last uh, 20, 25 years, um, I kind of kid, um, discovered uh, I want to be a psychologist right away. And it was the last class I took. So I, I was also an 800 runner, not nearly as fast as you are, uh, but um, ran uh, in high school. Then um, when I realized that sports psychology was actually a thing that I could have used during my career, it was the last class I took in college. I said, this is what I want to do. So I got my degree in clinical psychology, but I specialized in the things that athletes would suffer from the most. So I took a, a particular specialty in pain and injury rehabilitation. I did a lot of work with endurance um, athletes as a result of that too. I was director of a, a, a pain center working with chronic pain and, and headaches for a while. And my practice has then grown after developing that, moved into full-time sports psychology. And uh, my practice has really filled a lot now with a lot of performance anxiety. So seeing the yips, as you had talked about, tons of athletic identity issues, what happens when my identity is wrapped up in what I do and my achievement as opposed to who I am, and then depression, anxiety, stress. And now there's a lot of obviously COVID work, uh, adjusting with uh, the constant change and all the uncertainty. And I love doing things more publicly, whether it be speaking or trying to do more media, because I just feel like I can't help enough people one-on-one. -on -one. So that was a video that I just posted today. I try to do a lot on social media and uh, just kind of like to talk from my heart. And the last few me uh, presentations I've done, uh, videos have really much, like you've said, with the vulnerability, I've been talking about what's been bugging me and where I'm struggling. And here's what I think about it. The one I did before this was on mask anxiety. I was going through the store with my mask on and I'm freaking out and I don't know what's the matter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm developing claustrophobia or maybe I'm like scared to be around people. And second time I go to the store, it gets worse. And I'm like, what it is, what it turns out is I hate shopping and I'm in there for a long time going up and down aisles and I'm, I'm just mouth breathing because I can't get through the cloth. And so it turns out I couldn't believe when I posted this, how many other people are like, is that what's going on? 
So it's all about like the nasal breathing as opposed to like, maybe we're not all as anxious as we think we are. So I'll, I'll open up to more questions, but yeah, I've just things ahead that I'm happy to share. What can I do for you? All right, I'm gonna take you through a series of them. So let's start here. We're in this unique situation. You and I talked yesterday at length, and, and I think you have some interesting kind of views on how people are treating this, or at least the way they're processing it mentally. One of which was when I, you kind of smirked or laughed when I said this quote, new normal. <laughs> give, us, give us something on that. T take us through why maybe you don't like that, how you would reframe it, because everything can be reframed or repositioned mentally, right? So why don't you take us yeah. into your thoughts on that? Well, well the new normal, like, there's a number of things that have been said and get really popular that, that really bug me. And this new normal is one because I think it's the fact that we want to, first of all, get back to a normal when so many of you have just identified how normal wasn't good enough. Normal wasn't our best. Normal, and we were so busy and we were like automated and running through things that our craving to get back to that is understandable because of the comfort that we want. The routine is nice for creatures of habit. But so many of you have identified the opportunities that we have ahead. So I don't want us to go too far in the other direction when we're talking about the new normal. Well, it's like, well, do we really want to get back into that mindless repetition? I don't, I don't think we want to encourage that. Do we want to stop being anxious? Of course. But this idea, too, of, of trying to get to someplace else, again, go back to your athletic experiences. If you want to win a championship, the more you think about winning a championship, the less likely you're going to win it because it's a distraction. The more you want to win the game and think about the outcome, the more likely you're going to lose because you're not paying attention to what you need to do in the moment. So all of our talk about the future of wanting to get to a certain place at a certain time, the lockdown gets extended. I get discouraged and I, I feel for people when they're thinking about that because then they're missing, well, what is it now? What's right in front of us? And that uncertainty that we have, I think is gonna be our normal for quite a while. I don't think we're gonna figure this out very, very quickly. And I think if we do jump on anything too quickly, we're going to miss the opportunities in front of us as the game of life is being played. How much of that attitude of looking for something finite or tangible to end, to, to get back to what we were doing before, how much of that is just something that we're repackaging that we've been doing forever and ever just with people in maybe a different way? It's just our coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, here's our humanity showing up. My tagline is helping people overcome the obstacles to excellence. And that's everything from pro athletes to a single mom raising kids. Like we are all performers. And one thing that I've absolutely seen is that while we all want to be great, we all get in our own way. And anxiety in the most global sense is something that is incredibly helpful. If I wasn't worried about losing the game, I wouldn't practice as hard, right? This fear of what could happen, not what will happen, but what could happen is what drives us. And it's how we respond to it. So we all have, Again, I wouldn't even want to call it anxiety, but we all have this sense of nervousness and fear that will show up. And it's our reactions to it that make all the difference. So in being able to accept some of that uncertainty and anxiety and nervousness and let it be present in everything that we do, understanding that some of it might even be excitement. A lot of you have spoken about these new opportunities and you might be scared or anxious about it, but you know what? It's the exact same physiological response. For those of you that, that like roller coasters, your, your experience on a roller coaster is exactly the same as some of the things that we have in the grocery store or Aaron every other Monday, what you might be experiencing. It's just that we, we have a different attribution. You know, I, I know that I'm safe in the roller coaster. I'm locked in and this is exciting and this is fun, 
But if there was a guy with a mask chasing me in the woods and I felt that way, I'd be terrified. <laughs> Same physiological experience, but how are we interpreting it? So COVID for me hasn't been a good month. I've had a lot of losses and a lot of challenges. And what I'm getting out of it to answer your question that you'd asked of everybody else is a real opportunity to practice, to, to have empathy for all the clients that are struggling that's going through it because I'm like, oh man, I better put up or shut up right now. You know, I better use all the things that I've been teaching. And it's hard because I'm human too. The natural human response is to want to be more comfortable, to approach pleasure and avoid pain. But each one of you knows that you got where you're at through pain. So how do we embrace it? That's the challenge. So I'm glad you touched on pain because I, I read something that you had said, which sounded kind of like a, a paradox about pain tolerance and why do we tolerate pain? What does that mean to you? Yeah, there's another word that I don't like. As soon as you say you have to tolerate pain, that means you don't want it. It invites a conflict, right? You, you tolerate that, that person at work. You tolerate this situation. You grit your teeth and you just fight through it. That creates a whole nother battle. So endurance athletes, for those of you that have gone out there, like you don't, you don't just tolerate that pain, right? You have to lean into it and embrace it. You have to actually understand the value in the pain that you're going through. Now you never have to like it, but I, I really don't like the idea of pain tolerance. I like to talk about the willingness to experience pain in service of where I want to get on the other side. So you really do have to have this relationship, this understanding, and more than accepting, right? Because accepting is like, okay, it's fine. I'll deal with it. It is what it is. But an actual embracing of welcoming the pain. So for the, for the runners, as an example, speed is limited, not so much by how fast you can go and when you, you just can't go anymore. It's when your mind decides you can't take any more pain. Now, of course, there's some physiological changes and things that you have to consider. But in most of the runners that I've worked with, it's been a battle about how much pain they're willing to push themselves through. And so for those that were struggle in the middle of the races, for a lot of them is the tough part. That's where I'm like, now's when the race starts. How can you actually feel the pain, welcome it, say this is where your race begins, and now it's a, a pain experience. And the more that you embrace that, and I think that's what we're, we're all going through right now, like, gosh, the nervousness of this and that. Well, of course you should be scared, every single one of you. Of course things are gonna be different. Whatever we come up with today is not gonna happen next week. I promise you, I promise you. But if you stay in touch with this now and you're willing to go through it, and like so many of you said, you keep your eyes open, you're tuning into your clients, you're, you're watching the markets, you're seeing what's going on, and you're playing the game in the moment that it needs to be played. You're strong, you're smart, you'll make the play, and then you make the next play, and you, and you string them together. And notice that that's, that's how you bring the pain along with you. It's not about, again, fighting it, because if you're, if you're thinking about fighting the pain, if you're looking to the new normal and what you want it to be, you can't embrace what you're doing at the moment, and you'll lose. So in some of the, with a lot of the athletes you've dealt with, I'm sure it's been the yips or mental breakdowns or what, or not performing at your best or trying to please everybody. How do you relate some of those things or, or take some of that, the, the advice you give to athletes and apply that right now to anybody that you're dealing with? Are there some, are there a lot of parallels that you are finding? Yeah. I don't know if I, I'm answering the question right. So redirect me if I, if I'm not here, but the psychology of performance can show up in any area. Um, the skills that I use with my baseball players are the same with my football players, are the same with, you know, the, my, my, again, uh, single moms who want to be a better parent with my 
with parents, with the referees, um, with the, the CEOs, with the lawyers, with the surgeon that I saw last week, with the, the, the concert pianist. The, it, it's all the same. It's all a matter of we get distracted by our head says and how we feel. So a nice quick way to think about it is that when you're stuck inside, focus outside. So you know, there's some of these cool little focus quips um, and they all work, but the work ends up coming down to really the ability to, again, being willing to feel what you need to feel in service of keeping your eye on what I like to say, when, what's important now, and keep redirecting that. And don't get pissed off and frustrated with yourself when you don't do it perfectly, because nobody will do it perfectly. It's a constant readjusting, refocusing. It's a process. And you have to get up and you have to do it all the time. And that's what I was hit with, with, with COVID in here. I mean, I'm practicing and doing this and teaching it for over 20 years. And it's like, and now, you know what? This has been a hard month. Okay. But every day I can get better at it. And that's what I look to. And that's what I encourage you to look to. You know, did you do it better today than you did yesterday? That's a win. Welcome to the intermission. Kent, who's this group for? Is it for Super Bowl champs? Shaq. How about cross-country skiers? Shaq. How about Olympic synchronized swimmers? Triple Shaq. So it sounds like anybody who has an athlete's mindset or mentality could qualify here. Quadruple Shaq, Justin. This group is a rocket fuel powered community for former athletes to use their state of mind to succeed in the sport of business. So on your video, you said what I would call a Yogi Berra-ism. You said, be your best, even when it isn't your best. Yeah. What in the world does that mean? So again, this, this came out of my guilt of, was I doing COVID good enough? Like I see my neighbors and people are, you know, taking up hobbies. Um, again, many of you, I'm like, oh man, I suck. Like, you know, people are redoing their houses. They're, you know, they're picking up, you know, they're bonding better with their kids. They're doing this, they're doing that. I'm like, why didn't I learn six languages, a new instrument and win father of the year? You know, I, I've got all this time. Well, it's unfair, but I can't help it. I'm competitive. Anybody else in the room a little competitive? Anybody else always want to win? Right? It, it's, 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 a, it's a curse. But it's what, it's what brings us forward. But, but it can distract us. I get weighed down, especially in the area of social media. Now, we're even more so on our phones and seeing things. So I am just seeing more so how everybody else is is winning and I can't help but compare. And it, it really had me take my own advice and say, put on the blinders, Ed, like, what is my life gonna be about? Where do I wanna go? What's my mission? Who do I wanna help? Put, putting it in and saying, let me focus on you. And that's what I had meant about my best is, is that, so my best today, depending on the losses that I've suffered, uh, what my kids might need, my best today is gonna look different and it may not be my absolute best peak performance. Again, as athletes, you know, you don't have your best game every game. So when we keep talking about that or the idea of resilience, again, I'm glad that it's all over LinkedIn and other places, but I want to have something for the people who feel guilty that maybe they're not as resilient as they want to be or can be. Many of you have mentioned compassion, and I think that that's critical, especially any perfectionists in the room. Okay, please. Right. So if you want to be the perfect perfectionist, is how I like to call it, you have to make room for mistakes. You have to. Because your mistakes are what has you grow and learn. And boy, with my perfectionists, they're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I'm like, you know it, but you don't believe it and you don't embrace it. You have to take the mistakes that you make when you're not your best and critically look at it and see what is this teaching me? 
And let me ask all of you, if you actually did learn from every mistake you've ever made, how good would you actually be right now? I would be two to 300, 400 times better than I am right now because I've wasted so many opportunities because I had to have an ego or I said, I'll just do better. or Oh, somebody else's fault, right? Avoiding that discomfort of looking at, at where I messed up. We can actually lean into these mistakes and learn from them and be vulnerable in that way. So went off in 16 tangents, bringing it back to when your best isn't your best. I'm like saying that that's part of it is that what was your best today to measure it according to effort, right? You showed up. A lot of you, maybe this was difficult to show up to, but you get credit for showing up. That counts. Now, if you're lazy, that doesn't count, <laughs> okay? If, if you didn't try hard and you know you can measure yourself here, we're, we're not making excuses for that. If you made a mistake and you made the same mistake over and over again, I'm not excusing that either. But honest mistakes, really giving your best and it not being what you wanted it to be, please, you have to make room for that. Take the lesson and then do it again tomorrow. That's what I mean. Your 100% is what you could give. And if, if you're in a bad place and 50% of your potential is what you have, and you gave 50% today, you gave all of it, that's great. And that's how I, Mike dropped at the end, I, I love the phrase, like, run as fast as you can. But I've had so many athletes that are like, oh my gosh, but I have to run faster. And I'm like, but that's not possible. Oh, but Olympic cuts are this, or but it's gonna take this to, to achieve that. Well, yeah, that, that's true. But if you can't do that yet, stop thinking about it, stop worrying, run as fast as you can today. And eventually, you'll go faster and you know, you'll either make the cut or you won't, but don't try to do something that you can't do right now. It's a huge distraction and it's unfair to you. So that, that seems a lot like baseline support for your tagline, which is overcoming obstacles to excellence. Why that? Why have you hitched your wagon to that slogan? Well, after a long time of searching and a long time of jealousy of what all my colleagues were doing and, and <laughs> everything else, I, it, it really came down to who am I? And I, I first got into it because I love psychology and I love to help people struggling. And I've seen so many great mental trainers and, and, I, and I know how to do all that stuff. But my passion is, is for really helping people get past what's in their way. And it turns out that that's everybody. I've soon discovered that we all get in our own way. And that a lot of the problems, particularly when I worked with the chronic pain population, was that they had every right to be depressed and angry and stressed out. In fact, all of the anxious athletes that I've worked with, the first thing I spend you know, a week or two doing is letting them know that they have every right to feel as scared as they are because they care so much. And, and the only way that you're not going to be scared is to stop caring. And that's where it would be devastating. That's where your performance will drop off. So I've been so passionate about normalizing these obstacles and it's by embracing them, not beating them. Any, you know, beat anxiety. Anybody here never gets sad anymore? Let me ask you all a quick question. There are four basic human emotions. What do you think they are? But here's the point that I want to make. If we have four basic human emotions, happy, sad, mad, and scared, only positive, only one of them feels. And so if we are life, trying to live in 25% of what it means to be human, we're screwed. If, if the answer is when athletes come to me and they say, I, I gotta think positively and feel confident so that I can play better, that's ridiculous. How am I gonna send you to the Olympics and not be nervous? It doesn't make sense. So how do we embrace the, the scared, the mad, and the, which one am I forgetting? Happy, sad, mad, scared, and angry. Yeah. Right? How do we bring those emotions along with us? That, that's the key. They all serve a really good purpose. 
And your anxiety is there to warn you of danger, not what will happen, but what could happen so that you can be prepared. And if you treat it like that, if I could keep rambling, like a fire alarm is my favorite metaphor that I use with my anxious athletes. We've all been by fire alarms, right? It blaring. Do you all run out of the building every time there's a fire alarm? Of course not, right? Because most of the time it's a drill or somebody burned bacon or the, the batteries are dead or something. But you, you, you just ignore it? If the fire alarm went off in your houses right now, would you just be like, oh, it's probably nothing? Well, no, that wouldn't be safe either. So it's the same thing with these negative emotions and our, our negative thoughts. Pay attention to them, listen to them. Your, your, your self-protective fire alarm is going, but it doesn't mean you have to react to it. it. doesn't mean you have to believe it. In fact, most of the time, anybody ever worry about something that never happened, never came to be every day, <laughs> right? Human. So we, gotta, we can start to learn that and realize, oh my gosh, you know what? Maybe my mind's not my friend. Maybe I don't have to listen to everything that it says. Maybe it's just got this really primitive agenda to warn me of everything that could go wrong. And it's up to me to decide what I'm going to listen to and how I'm going to react to each warning. That's where I find excellence lies. Sorting it out, you know, getting distance from that biology and being able to identify what do I really need to do and focusing on that. Not without anxiety, but rather with it. So knowing we have about five to seven minutes left, I'm going to ask my final question and I'll open it up to a couple of others. But so where, where is Dr. Eddie O'Connor in 10 years? Where, where are you trying to get to? Uh, how much of the cobbler's kids have no shoes? You know, that old, that old wives yeah. tale or whatever it was. How, how much of this do you actually have to say, okay, I need to employ this myself so that I can get better and get to wherever, where, where is this taking you? Well, that's what COVID has right now is, uh, you know, at this stage and things that have happened, I, I, I'm really at the point, which is why I reached out to Aaron and said, it's time for me to redefine my life. I have felt that working one-on-one -on -one and even doing the social media just isn't big enough. Like the things that I'm saying here, I, I wish I could say it is rocket science. It's not. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching it to high schoolers and, and people are getting it. But what I realize is that almost nobody knows it. And, and I, I literally, I want to tell the world, like in 10 years, if I could reach every human being in the world, maybe that's a bit aggressive, but... I want this message to go out there and I want people to get it earlier. I want them to get it often. I want the, the, the toughness. I mean, I was all about mental toughness and achievement. All right, embarrassing, quick embarrassing story. A business card used to say, quote, because average isn't good enough. And I'm mortified by it now. But that's when I was at the height of achievement and I'm stepping on toes and my marketing person at the place that I worked at, she just literally cringed and she was like, oh, like I hate this. And I'm like, well, you ain't good enough, you know, <laughs> like, like that must mean you're a, and, and now, I mean, I, I hold on to it because I'm like, it's wrong. Like most people are average and to respect excellence means that you, it, it's just, it's just all different, but that, that, that lack of compassion for the difficulty as it goes through, I mean, just that whole message was wrong, you know, embracing mistakes rather than being so tough, like the perfectionist, like really get off on, I'm my hardest critic, as if that's a badge of honor. And, and to a degree it works. I wish there were more perfectionists in my life and in my, you know, circle because things would be better. But that's the way to burn out. So how do you have that standard of excellence, but also have that compassion for the process and the weaknesses and the brokenness that we have along the way? That's the magical spot. And I don't find that a lot of people live that way. And I certainly don't find that the messages out there that, that had me be raised 
or what it meant to be a man. And you look at the models of manhood and the macho and the powerful, and I got all the answers and the power. Uh, there's not a lot of room for that. And I'd like to have a better message for, for, for the young men in particular, um, but for all of us. Yeah. Thank Eddie. Thank you for sharing. I mean, this is fantastic. And seeing everybody's messages about um, how much it echoes with, you know, our lives currently and in the past, what we need to hear. Um, I was curious being a, a Lakers fan and thinking about things like closure. Um, I mean, for athletes who were in the middle of their season, I mean, I can't imagine what NCAA basketball players on the verge of March madness, just especially all those small schools, like suddenly their entire world just ending kids who, maybe would have never gotten a chance in the draft could have shown in a tournament like that and they lost that opportunity or all these pros like you know the lebrons the Kawhis, and all the other role players who seem like they finally were able to prove something and then just the season gets cut short like what do you what do you say to a lot of those guys especially the young kids honestly i i mostly listen at first because there is nothing that i'm going to say that's going to make them feel better and I think that the worst thing I could do in those moments is to give them advice, give them some cliche about it is what it is or focus on the moments. And all that stuff is actually true. I mean, all these cliches are brilliant, but we toss them around so much that they've lost the meaning. And if we go to it too quickly, you know, I, I hear these athletes pain and I give them an opportunity to express and to sort through it and, and to validate it. I don't know about you guys, but for me, like when people try to cheer me up, um, and sometimes it's the most invalidating experience and it makes me feel worse as if I'm not entitled to be sad or mad or scared. So, so these kids, these adults, everybody, we're, we're going through so much. You should feel bad. Again, th three of those four emotions, embrace them. And if it goes on for two months, okay, then we got to start to do some different interventions. But, you know, can it cycle through right now? Yeah. I mean, should they be upset about it, you know, in June when they miss it? And then in September when another thing comes up and they remind, sure, just like when somebody dies, you know, you take that full year and, you know, the anniversary and the birthday and the Christmas without them, right? These are losses that these people are going through that are real. So let's embrace it. And then you find when you lean into it and you sit with them, they'll be the ones that'll tell you, so what's next? So where do I go from here? When you can sit with the person where they're at and they know that they're not alone, that's when they can take the step forward and go. Let's give uh, Dr. Eddie a big Zoom clap, even if you're on mute. That was great, we appreciate you. Thank you to Dr. Eddie O'Connor for joining us tonight. That was really fantastic. Another great story in the books. Who's inspired with me? Kent, where do people go from here? God, Justin, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Everybody today, we're so excited to have you on this show. If you're interested in our Rocket Fuel Accelerator, if you'd like to join membership at Athletes Touch, go to our awesome website at www.athletestouch.co, and we'll see you soon. If you want to look us up on our social handles, LinkedIn and Twitter, Athletes Touch, at Athletes Touch. Thanks, guys.